in, in that particular part. It's opened the gospel up for us. And one of the humorous things that I saw take place at that particular situation is our volunteers were all over the city. And they said, we want to give you a booth. And, and you can share the gospel. You can share whatever you want to do at that booth. And we said, okay, so we'll take that booth. And we realized that when I got there, I walked into the Salmon Fest to see where, where the booth was. And the booth was in the tennis courts with 20-foot high fences all the way around it and little gate to get in to the booths where the churches were. And they were on the back side of the Salmon Fest and they gave us freedom to be there. But nobody would go in that little uh, kind of tennis court area. And then I began to realize none of our volunteers were there. They were out all over the city serving in different places, able to share, able to talk about the gospel because they were caring for the people that were there. Uh, we took one of the groups out to Coquitlam Center and, and they did a flash mob in the middle of Coquitlam Center and they started singing about the gospel and I was going, oh my goodness, we're going out of here. We're going we're to be gone so quick. And they began to sing about the gospel doing this flash mob. And then they asked and they said, uh, after the first song was over, many of the people gathered around and said, can you do that again? Can you do that again? Can you do another song? And so they did another one. And they did another one. And then the church that had sponsored them in there uh, was asked by the Coquitlam Center Mall. They said, uh, you know, normally we don't allow Christians in here. We don't allow Christians to come and speak. But, but your group has come with such incredible joy and such incredible favor. So would you bring a group back at Christmas and do a full Christian presentation in Coquitlam Center Mall? And I thought to myself, because we went, God opened the doors. I want to ask you to pray for a couple of things very quickly as we begin to think about how we reach out to the city. There's a church planter meeting with a group of senior adults in Sydney, B.C., across the water this morning in a library. Those senior adults gathered together with us in a prayer meeting about two weeks ago and said there are 30 of us that meet at the library every Sunday morning to pray and to study the Scripture. Would you come and please start a church in this place for us? And a church planner from Fort Worth, Texas, had been praying about whether he should come or not. And I called him on the phone a week and a half ago, and I said, I think it's time. He's over in Sydney this morning praying with that group, getting ready to move at the end of August to start a church in Sydney. I met with a church planner this week on Thursday, and, and we're looking at North Burnaby as another church site to start another group over there by Soho Complex and those high-rises that are going in there as God begins to reach out and open up another church site where God is at work. God is painting on a canvas that's far bigger than we can see. We need to join Him where He's at work. See what God can do. We were at Pacific Center Mall and one of our groups was down there and they all looked at each other and they all smiled and all of a sudden somebody kicked on a uh, boom box. That's what I used to call them. I don't know what you call them now. But they, they kicked on the music and all of a sudden this group started to do a flash mob in the middle of Pacific Center and I went, oh my goodness, and they're singing. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. And I was going, oh no, that's not the right song. And then the people began to applaud the people began to celebrate with them and they got the opportunity to share the gospel in the midst of that place. Because people went, the gospel was heard. 
Sometimes we're too afraid. Sometimes we're too scared. This morning I want to take you to the 15th chapter of the book of Luke. I want you to look at that passage from two perspectives. Because there were two audiences that day. There was the audience that had come to hear the teaching of Jesus. And there was the audience that had come to murmur about Jesus. I'm not certain who the them is, as it says he began to teach them. But there are two sets of people there. One, the ones that are the learners. The other are the complainers. And they're both sitting there overhearing the gospel. They're overhearing the teaching. And I want you to sit with me this morning and look at three things, three things we can say to each group from the, 11th, from the 15th chapter of the book of Luke. On this, the hottest day of B.C. in two years, uh, we're going to go quick. <laughs> and I'm so glad we get to start at 9.30 instead of 10.30. But I want you to hear God and hear God's Word and hear it clearly. Let's pray together. Father, thank You. Thank You for this opportunity for the Gospel to go out. Thank You for this opportunity for us to be confronted. Father, in this audience this morning, there are those that have never trusted you, that have never understood what it is to have a personal relationship with you. And you're at work in their lives. You've brought them here. You've introduced them to Christian people. They've had the opportunity to hear the story when millions have not. Father, they're here to hear you. And Lord, I pray that your word would be clear and concise to them. And Father, there are others of us that have been so wrapped up in our institutions, in our organizations, in our churches. We have become so wrapped up in being religious people that we have lost the vitality of that intimate personal relationship with you. Lord, you speak to our hearts also. Speak to us as a people. For we find ourselves sometimes overwhelmed by the chaos of our life, we find ourselves somehow so far away from where we started that we have lost the joy of our salvation. And Father, we see others celebrating and we plead, why not me? And Father, you stand with tears in your eyes calling us to yourself because of your incredible love. Lord, grant us the courage this morning to turn back to you to respond to you, to follow you, to walk with you in that intimate relationship. Lord, thank you. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. I was intrigued by the statement, both the Pharisees and the scribes in Luke chapter 15 are attending a teaching that was intended for tax collectors and sinners. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble. This man received sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. He actually told them three parables. He, he laid it out before them, these two audiences, these religious people who had come to grumble about who was being shown favor. These religious people who wanted to point the finger at others and say, you're not like us. 
these religious people who wanted to protect the integrity of their institution rather than share the reality of a relationship with the living God. These religious people who were so intent on being holy that they forgot about why they were blessed to be a blessing are now complaining about who they are. And Jesus tells three parables. The first is a famous one. It's read, It's the one we read. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? For us, there is a reality that we must consciously remind ourselves consistently that the priority of our ministry, the priority of our task, is that of reaching lost people. It is not about protecting our institutions. It's not about discipling our people to the nth degree. It's not about the quality or the quantity of our religious task being accomplished. It is about reaching the lost. It is that one who is lost that he went after. It is the one that he sought out. He left the 99 behind, the 99 who could protect, the 99 who could gather, and he went to the next one. Jesus illustrates this point in an incredible place in Scripture. He's having an incredible ministry. The he, sick are being healed. The, the blind are beginning to see. The, those that are lame are walking. The clouds are coming. The masses are there. He goes away to the mountainside to pray. And he comes back to his disciples in the height of their success and says, it's time for us to move to the next city. For I came to preach to the lost. I came to reach the lost. It was not the quantity of the ministry that marked the success, but the target of the ministry. And he began to say he was going to preach to the lost. And he moved on to the next city. It would be at the height of his ministry that he would turn his face toward the cross and say, the purpose for which I came was to save the lost, not to gather a movement or to establish a program, but it was to save the lost. Can you imagine what the Pharisees heard? Those religious people? Did they hear the priority that had been lost in their life? For they were keeping rules. They were measuring each other's performance. They were checking each other out on a daily basis. They were evaluating the world in light of their standards and their programs, but not the lost. But let me look to the other side, to the sinners, to the tax collectors, to those who had never had a relationship. Here is the gospel to you. God loved you so much. God cared for you so much. You were such a priority to Him that He stepped down out of heaven. He left His holy throne. As a sovereign God of the universe, He said, it is more important for me to reach that one who is wandering. To go and do for that one what they cannot do for themselves. To come looking for that lost one in order that I might find him. In order that I might love him. In order that I might forgive him. He stepped down out of heaven and he came looking for you. You see, Jesus was that living proof of the shepherd who came to look for the lost one that was there. And he found him. 
not among the religious elite, but among the chaos of the day, He found them and He sought them out. If you're here today and you do not have a personal relationship with the person of Jesus Christ, I want you to understand something. God has come looking for you today. You hear that? The sovereign God of the universe is seeking you out. He loves you that much. He began to move on quickly to the second parable. He says he talks about the celebration in heaven that would take place when one repent, one sinner repents. But he, but he moves very quickly to the lost coin. And he says this, Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It's been said of me that uh, the way I relax is I clean out a closet. I like order, you know, and I like finished things. So when I get really burned out mentally, I go and I clean out a closet and I reorder it and I put it back together so that I know exactly where everything is. And then I rest. And I feel real good about that. That's kind of the way I do things. Now, I know that some of these rooms would betray the fact that you don't like order, uh, that your office desks would say that uh, you like a, a, a cluttered desk over a clean desk. Uh, I don't know about you, but I find myself oftentimes searching through the papers, trying to find that thing which is lost. You know, sometimes we have to clean up to find what's important to us. I never like to lose things. This woman lost one coin. She had nine, but she lost one. And what did she do? She cleaned everything up. Here's the message of the parable. In the midst of the chaos of life, in the midst of the lack of structure, in the midst of all of the things that could and might go wrong, God steps in to put things in order to locate that which was lost. Have you ever felt like as a person that so much was going on around you and so many things were happening that you could kind of just slip out the side door, you could kind of slip away and be forgotten? One of the men that kind of challenged my thinking on that is that I was listening to a pastor speak in Fort Worth, Texas one time. He said that uh, he had gone back into the archives of the church. And he said he'd begun to find all these old vacation Bible school cards. These registration cards that the church kept in the attic somewhere, stored in a box. And he said he began to go through them. And as he went through those old archive cards, he began to look at the names on the cards and wonder about the children. And then he came to one that he was totally shocked by. Because written on the bottom was, child non-responsive, family difficult, don't bother going back. 
And then he looked across the top of the name on the card. And the pastor said to his shocked amazement, he read the words, Lee Harvey Oswald. Now those of you that know history know that he's the man that was accused of killing John Fitzgerald Kennedy, President of the United States. Yet there, on a VBS card for a 10-year-old child in the storage cabinets of a church was found the name of a young boy who one time came and was lost. To the religious, I hope he heard the words, all people are important. All people are of value. And in the midst of our chaos, we need to straighten it away to remember the lost one, not just the saved ones. We got 90%! Not good enough. Clean up the chaos and look for the lost one that somehow slipped away and been forgotten. But can you imagine the message to the sinner? The one who had been forgotten. The one who had been lost. What did he say? I value you so much that I'll clean it up. I'll clean up the past. I'll clean up the brokenness. I'll clean up the chaos. I'll step into the midst of it so that I can find you. Because you're as important as the 99 that are found. I care about you. But then he comes to the last one. The last one is by far the most famous and the one that I seem to identify with most. He comes to that of the man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And too many, and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now we had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine, a Jewish boy feeding swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, when he realized his lostness, when he realized who his father was, when he realized how much his father cared about him, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here with hunger. You see, he knew the character of God. He knew the character of his father. His father was a man of fairness. His father was a man of goodness. His father was a man who created all the things that he had learned to live with. And he knew that his father would care more about his servants than he was being treated as a servant, as a hired man. And he said, I'll get up and go to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. 
and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. He knew the character of his father, but he was about to learn something more about his father. And so he got up and came to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. You see, it's one thing to have character and integrity, but to match it with compassion becomes godly. Sometimes we like to point our finger at others. Sometimes we like to decide what we're not like in others. But sometimes the revelation always is that not only the character of God is revealed, but the compassion of God is revealed. And notice what the Father did. The Father felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, not even listening to the confession of his son, for he had seen in his son coming home the confession of his lips. They had seen in the attitude of him coming back to his father, and now it was time for compassion. And the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. You see, it is about the relationship. It is not about the performance. You can't be too bad for God. You can't be too disobedient for God when you turn your face and come back to God. You see, the Father opens His arms with loving embrace and welcomes you back and the party begins. You were lost and now you're found. You were caught up in the chaos of the world and it was taking you away from me. But now I, I found you. You repented. You, you turned from that way in which you were living. And you come home. And, and now the party can begin. And now the celebration can begin. This son of mine, which was dead, is now alive. I thought he had lost him. But he's found. That's the gospel. You see, that's the story that needs to be proclaimed to the world. That an infinite God, an all-powerful, all-sovereign God, has stepped down into this earth. And He has reached out and called out and commanded and died for us in order that we might have life. And He doesn't say, I told you so. He throws His arms around you and starts the party. He doesn't demand your servitude. He invites you into relationship. And out of that love relationship, He calls you into a life of obedience to Him because He knows what's best for you. And He calls you out to that life. But then He kills the fatted calf and the party begins. What an incredible feeling. What an incredible gospel. What an incredible reality that begins to happen. But there are some of us in this room who a long time ago 
made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. We were baptized a long time ago. And somewhere along the line, in the midst of our performance, in the midst of our life, we've lost the joy. We've lost the reality. We've lost that which we once had. I doubt that that younger brother and older brother were always at war with each other. I can imagine family dinners together when they were growing up. But that older brother, listen to what happened with him. Now the older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother's come and your father's killed the fat calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he became angry. Sound like the grumblers that were overhearing the story? And was not willing to go in. Not going to participate in this. These are sinners and publicans. These are not going to participate in this party. And his father came out and began pleading with him. And he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. Sound like some of us I see it happening for you, and I see it happening for you, and I say, but it never happens for me. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, You've always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, was lost and has been found. Son, I called you out. I gave you birth. You've always been with me. But you're asking me what I've done for you. You've asked me to perform for you. Everything I have is yours. Some of you know my story. Some of you know the reality of my life. I moved a lot growing up. I moved from place to place as a child. And I got very angry with my father. 
because he moved me every six months. And I could never have a good friendship with my father. And when I got to college, I shut my mother and my father out of my life. And I said, I'm going to be free of them because they've hurt me so bad. I will never forget in my entire life the day that I got to a point where I realized there was something I had to talk to another man about. There's an issue going on in my life and I needed a man's advice. But in my professional life and in my career, I couldn't talk to anybody around me because of confidentiality. And I knew that there was only one man I could talk to. I knew his character and I knew his character to be good. He hadn't done me right, but his character was good. And I remember calling my father on the phone. I'd been gone for two years and hadn't talked with him at all. And I called my father on the phone and I said, Dad, I need to talk with you. My dad lived 70 miles away from me. He uh, arrived at my house in an hour. He left his business in the hand. He basically locked the door of this business because he had nobody working for him. And he got in the car and he drove straight to my house. As I opened the door of my house, my father's first words to me were, I'm sorry. And I thought, sorry for what? And he looked at me and he said, I'm sorry I had to move you so often. I'm sorry that I hurt you. And I thought, that wasn't why I called you. That wasn't what I wanted to hear. But then I began to realize I had some things to talk over with him. I had to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the rebellion. I'm sorry for taking what you gave me. As we began to talk over coffee after we wept for an hour, I forgot about why I needed to call and talk to another man. But as we began to talk, my dad said, I've always waited for your call because I wanted to be there. That moment, I began to understand this parable. Your Heavenly Father has always longed to have your heart not just your hands and your head. He's wanted to have your heart. He's wanted you to be with Him. He's always been there. He's always loved you. He's given you everything that He's got to give you. But He's wanted your heart, not just your hands. And when you see others celebrating when they find out that his heart is compassionate and kind, that same heart applies to you. He's there. Have you overheard the gospel? Have you overheard the gospel? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
He came to reach out to you. He came to forgive you. He asked you to come back to Him. He asked you to repent. He asked you to say, I've walked the wrong way, but I want to come home. And He's waiting for that response. And for some of us, we've lived in the walls of His house. We've been in the environment of His people. But we've lost the joy of that salvation. Can I invite you this morning to respond to Him and find Him in the midst of this place. For He is at work here and He is calling you and He is seeking you and He desires you to know Him. Let's pray together. Father, thank You. Thank You for the time You've given us Thank you for the stories you've recorded. Thank you for the life you lived. Father, you have shown us the character of God. You have also shown us the compassion of God. Father, grant us the courage to come back to you, to allow you to be Lord and Savior. It's in the name of Christ that I pray. Amen. Amen.